0: You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, I'm sorry, I'm going to confuse you. There's going to be two Adams. It's me, Adam Tarno. I'm going to be your host, and uh, I'll be on this podcast. And then also, Adam Westlake. Adam is a friend of mine that I've known over the last five or six years. But today's the first day we sat down and talked about the topic of discussion today on the Better Man Podcast, and that is the topic of singleness. Um, But let me say this, by the end of the conversation, I realized that yes, we were talking about singleness, but really, really the main topic of conversation was something completely different, uh, something that deeply encouraged me, that really challenged me, that refreshed me, and I think it's going to encourage, challenge, and refresh you as well. So with all that being said, enjoy getting to know my friend Adam Westlake. Adam Westlake, welcome to the Betterman Podcast. Good to have two Adams on here. I think it's the first time. Two Adams on the Betterman Podcast. Uh let's do this. Why don't you just start? Because I think this will help just set up everything. So give like name, where you grew up, age, what do you do for a living now? Yeah. What town are you in? All that kind of Love stuff. It. I know where you are because you're sure. here in Dallas. But for yeah. our listeners, go ahead and do that. Thanks for having
1: me, by the way. This is awesome. Um yeah, my name's Adam Westlake. I am from Amarillo, Texas. Uh, lived there third grade through high school, moved to Dallas where I live now in in 2012 to go to school and have stayed since then. Um, I am 29. I work at a company called The Worship Initiative. So we are a record label and resourcing company um, kind of driven by this idea of Colossians 3.16, um, that we exist to equip the church to sing the word um, and to remove theological or musical distractions. Paul says in Colossians, to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you as you sing. And so we Uh, have over the last several years with Shane and Shane, and now our artists um, set out to create resources and songs and videos and all that that train worship teams and lay members
0: and all that to sing the Word of God. That's awesome. I do that full-time. That's cool. All right, and I think you and I met Years ago, through Watermark, we I went to the same church, true. and it was probably, I think it was one of those days where I was maybe up there teaching, and you were in the band. Yeah. And you have the coolest-looking guitar. That's what I remember. <laughs> My You're tagline Adam. is always, little guy, big guitar. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is. It's a so, huge yeah, guitar. And
1: so, yeah, I have been at uh, Northway Church for the last decade, but have had a really beautiful kind of partnership and ministry with Watermark. And so, I was probably yeah. helping out that day, and you happened to be teaching. And...
0: and how many guitars do you own? Not as many as you'd
1: think a professional guitar player would own. I probably have five. Okay. Um, which feels like an appropriate But that enough. one
0: that I'm remembering... Big and brown. It, okay. And what, what kind is it? I'm it's sure there's... It's a Gretsch Country Gentleman. Gosh. Such a cool name. Yeah. It's awesome. The Country which Gentleman. Which is great because I'm from Amarillo. That's right. And <laughs> it fits. It's very on I want to be brand. a country gentleman. <laughs> okay. So when you do that, when you talk about age, where you live, what you do... Typically, one of the next questions that somebody's going to ask you at 29 is, "Are you married?" Yeah, right. And what's your answer to that? No. Okay, <laughs> not. And so that's I'm what not we're going to. Mar-
1: I am unmarried.
0: We're going to talk about that today. So um, I remember. So I became a follower of Christ in college. Joined the single adult ministry with the church in Atlanta. First time I'd really started to talk about, or really just think about what adult life was going to look like—married, not married. Really, first time I start making friends that are that span all kinds of different ages, right? So I'm a 23-year-old, but through the, the church, you're meeting people that are 33, 43, 53, and all of us are lumped together in this church, in this single adult ministry. And first time I started to hear about this idea of singleness being a thing, right? And so it was so great, you know, it was really great just to, as a maturing thing for me to learn that not everybody follows the same path, wants the same path. Uh, but there was this phrase that that came up early on in church, and uh, you got a smile on your face, so you may know what I'm going to say. But it was like, "Are you single for a season, or are you single for a reason?" I haven't heard that. But you I haven't like heard it. that, okay? And so, at the time when I heard it, it was you know it was very empowering for people to say, "Well, I'm just single for a season, right? Like, because I'm just getting my relationship with God right, or I just want to get my career started, or whatever it was." What you didn't want was to be labeled single for a reason. Right, because that meant there was something socially wrong with you, that nobody wanted to to be your partner for the rest of their life. So if you think about that, like single for a season, single for a reason, because I don't think that's the right way to think about single for a reason, right? I think that's a very shallow, immature, uh, sometimes hurtful way to think about it. But if you think about that season and reason, uh, what comes to your mind? I'd love to hear you talk about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's true that if all of us at some point in our life, single for a season, yeah. Um, and so the question then becomes, I think for me, when I hear that, whether it's a season or for whatever the reason, the the thing that's the same in both of that, both of those is single. And so the question then comes, well, what does it mean to live faithfully before God as an unmarried person? Um, and so I think where maybe you're, you're getting to is, well, then there's a bad way to say single for a reason, but there's also probably a really good Way to be single for a reason. We look at the life of Jesus, we look at the life of Paul. Um, the two, I mean, obviously, Jesus, a theologically significant person, Paul, <laughs> uh, writing two thirds of the New Testament, being unmarried. Uh, it's obviously not some sort of hindrance to uh, meaningful life in the kingdom of God. Um, and so the question then becomes well, then what does that look like for me, Adam, as like a single, 29-year-old guy in metropolitan Dallas, um, what does that look like then to walk in the way of Jesus or to follow Paul as he followed Christ in that way of life? And so when I think about single for a reason, my mind goes to uh, where everybody's mind, if you've got some sort of familiarity with the New Testament, which is 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about the gift of singleness, um, which no one really likes to want, no one really wants that Charisma, that gift, so to speak, but um, Paul seems to say it's better. And so, the the question then becomes: Do I actually think that's true or not? Am I willing to receive that as something that's true from God? That that's actually a better um, way of life, according to Paul. And so, I've just begun to really, when I hear "single for a season" or "for a reason," I think, well, regardless of which it is, whether it is for a season or for the duration of my life, I can have a really strong reason, whether it's just for now or for my whole earthly life. And so um, I've just begun to really think about, okay, well, what does it look like to walk in the way of Jesus and in whatever relational state I find myself in?
0: That's right. So uh, do, like, how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it's that's, a, that's the question. Um, I've been really driven by um, the idea that marriage is this really beautiful picture and metaphor of what Paul would say in Ephesians 5 of Christ in the church and the the image given in the book of Revelation about the wedding supper of the Lamb, the consummation of the kingdom of God, that we, the church, will be adorned like a bride for a husband to be presented to Jesus And so what that's done for me is to say, wow, whether I have marriage in this life um, or not, I'm not missing out on the ultimate fulfillment of what marriage is even talking about, Um, that marriage really is a picture, a metaphor of um, a truer reality than just a physical relationship and a, a, a covenant relationship with someone on earth. And that's been really sustaining for me, I think, on hard days where it's like, oh, man, I feel lonely or I feel really different or I feel like people are looking at me funny or they're starting to wonder, like, why is that guy still single? Um, and so it's helped me. It One, it's, that has given me an opportunity to reveal, the, to see the fear of man in my life that I can be really enslaved by. The opinions of other people can just be really consumed with what they're thinking. But then it gives me this really great opportunity that every time my mind wanders there, it becomes another opportunity to return to Jesus to say, oh, this is my sexuality. My um, whole life is for God. So whether I am stewarding my sexuality in a covenant marriage or in abstaining from marriage, I'm not missing out on the ultimate reality or fulfillment of what marriage really even is. I
0: love that. And I think, you know, I that's beautifully said. And that's where I... Uh... That whole idea of season reason, it, it can be a both, and I, I don't like it from the disparaging side, which is like, hey, you have something wrong that nobody would want to be with you. That's where I don't think that that is helpful. And I like the conversation around redeeming that thought, right? Because it does bring back a sense of autonomy. It does bring back a sense of... Uh, purpose and meaning, even like, all right, so I'm I'm doing this for a reason, right? And in the midst of all of this, I'm not an adult in waiting. I'm not a Christian in waiting. I'm not stuck in some holding pattern. God is using me right here, right now, and I'm not going to miss out on anything, you know, in the age to come. And so I, I love that. So let's think about, okay, so you mentioned um, like people go, oh, you're still single, right? So let's think about some of the things that people have asked you or said to you or questions they've asked you. Not throwing people under the bus, but sure. uh you can tell me the names offline. Yeah. yeah but yeah, when yeah. we're not recording, but I what what are some won't. things that <laughs> what are some <laughs> some questions or like maybe some misunderstandings that people have about your season of life right now?
1: I, I feel really fortunate that I am maybe struggling to answer that question. That's I think good. it speaks yeah. to uh at least the community that I belong to um, does a really good job of dignifying single people. Don't treat them as like, well, you can't be a pastor unless you're married. You can't be a leader. You can't contribute meaningfully in some way. Like you can't – what like I, I've truly uh, – one of the greatest gifts of the last decade of my life has been the the community at my church here in town that, that I've been able to have because I think what – um they've shown me is um, that that marriage isn't the only way in which like the human uh, needs that God's wired into people um, that marriage isn't the only way that those things can be met um, and so I think our church has done such a good job training that into the way we think and I mean 50% of our members are unmarried. And so there's, I think my context is maybe a little unique. So I don't maybe experience as many of those questions, but I, I think folks that do are probably like people, it's easy to assume like, oh, there's something sinful in their life that's preventing them from marriage. So they've, they've decided to refrain until they can get their lives in order. I think a really common thing as I serve in the counseling and pastoral care ministry at our church, a lot of young men that I'll spend time with are thinking, well, I'm still really struggling with pornography or sexual sin in some way. And so that's preventing me from feeling like marriage is really gonna be on the table for me right now, or even a relationship. And then if men over time are continuing to struggle with that, um, and it is in some ways such a pervasive struggle that I think people can even begin to assume like, oh, they're not married, they must be sexually broken in some way, and if it's not pornography, and it maybe it's man, maybe they're gay, maybe they're same-sex attracted, and whoa, what does that mean? Like, I think there's those are things that I think are common for maybe people to think. Um, but I feel like those ask the wrong question because within that of like, why aren't they married? Is this assumption that they should be? Yep.
0: Um,
1: which goes back to the yeah. reason and. Yeah. It's, well, my sexuality, whether it's stewarded in a covenant marriage or in stewarding my sexuality by refraining from a sexual relationship, both of those can be oriented towards the kingdom of God and and stewarded um, to walk in the way of Jesus and bring glory to him and um, to use the free time that you have from not being married to serve others and to serve the poor and to counsel and to minister in whatever way it might be. Um, That's at least what it's looked like for me. So I don't know if I necessarily have specific questions that I I ask some people.
0: Most of the time, if we talk to men that claim to be followers of Jesus and are still single, one of the um, things that would come up would be you're just too picky, Mm. right? So look at all these great women that are out Mm -hmm. there. You know, all these great girls in the church. Just ask one of them out, right? What? What are you so picky, right? And so I think that could be another reason. That is listed out there, or some of the questions that people ask, like, "What are you? Are you just you're just being too selfish? You're looking for the perfect, you know, Christian cheerleader, whatever you know you've got built up in your mind." Um, have you ever gotten any of that when people are are assuming again baked in there is yeah. that assumption that that marriage is better in some ways? But do you ever get that? Uh,
1: I have had one friend who really, really graciously uh, asked me to consider that question. But it was said with the tone of like, man, hey, have you ever thought that you might be being too picky? Or I think he said, because I was talking about, well, I've been struggling with this or I'm thinking about this. And he goes, well, and again, this, if you just read it on paper, it would sound so harsh, but his tone was not. He said, have you ever asked God to make you less shallow <laughs> just to like help you? And that what a and question! just like in total earnest, like it wasn't some like, gotcha. It wasn't some like, he wasn't like pointing his finger or bearing down. He was genuinely asking like, Hey man, I, I think this might be something that you should consider. Um, and so even in the way, uh, as you were kind of hypothetically asking that question, what was coming to my mind was, you know, I don't think God ever asks us questions with that tone of voice. Um, I think about Genesis three, Adam, where are you? I think about Genesis sixteen, Hagar, where are you from? Where are you going? Um, that I just think, uh, or or Jesus in John four, hey, where's your husband? Um, so that I think even as we're asking people those questions, there's a way to ask it that that's really dignifying of people, as opposed to I think even if we're asking the right question, you can ask the right question the wrong way, mm. and it sort of becomes the wrong question.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, so had, like, um, do people ever ask you, and I'll just ask you right now, yeah. like, so do you want to be married? How do you answer yeah. that? Yeah.
1: I usually say I'm not sure, that I think maybe. I'm open to it. But I also truly, really do love my life. Um, And I'm aware that, that other people who are 29 and single don't love their life. I get to have a really great job with amazing people, and I have a house five minutes from my office. And like, I've got have this community and this home group, like I've got all these things. and what, So I think there's been real goodness and blessing that's come from that. Um, but for all the good job and, and having a home that I love and community, it doesn't change a, a Thursday night when most of my friends are married and are doing things and I'm just sitting at home from six to 10 again and that's where again I at least for me I think I've just really come home to the man that would be awesome but there's also lots of challenges with it um but even if I had it I don't think it would bring the the ultimate kind of satisfaction that I'm I'm hoping for and I go back to Song of Solomon a lot when I discovered that you were allowed to read Song of Solomon as a <laughs> metaphor uh that was really helpful because I could then say on those moments where I feel lonely, yeah, but Song of Solomon 2.4, I'm my beloved's and my beloved is mine. So I'm not not lacking anything, Um, that I really do have what I need. And so when people ask, do I want to be married? I'd say, I think maybe, but only if it seems like Acts would say, like right to me and to the Holy Spirit. And so... I'm not
0: sure. That's good. I like that answer. I really do. And and what's really interesting, so I, I can, I'm i listening to this uh, later on in a couple weeks after this recording, I'll celebrate my 19th wedding wedding anniversary. So my wife and I have been together. Um, we met 20 years ago, been married 19. I like to joke it's been 19 years in a row. Uh, longest relationship I've ever had. I think it's going to work. It's, I think we're it doing well. It seems like it's on a good trajectory. <laughs> it's on a good trajectory <laughs> with all that. But what can be really interesting is I'm sure as... There were some men driving around listening that heard Thursday night from six to 10 by myself, and they were jealous, right? Because they're just like, what I would give for Thursday night. And it's really interesting sometimes how within the church, how we like it just seems like nobody's content with anything. And when you do find somebody who's content, it feels weird. It feels like they're not being honest or truthful, right? And it's like the single guys or discontent of the married guys or jealous or, and the married guys are like, well, you don't understand how good you've got. And it's just this this battle of discontentment, right? Where if we both just uh, are where we are. It's like who
1: wants, it's this weird comparison of like, yeah, well, my life's harder. Yeah. And we get some sort of like, it makes us feel strong. Like, well, I'm stronger than you. Like you don't get it. Exactly. Uh-huh.
0: Which just feels so... Backwards, if we're a family, and yeah. just the differences that feel we like all need,
1: considering yeah. others more important than ourselves, it doesn't look like being poor in spirit. Essentially, I was reading the Beatitudes this morning, and it's bookended with those that inherit the kingdom of God, and it's the poor in spirit and the humble. Um, and so, the poverty of spirit would probably rarely look like uh, telling someone... because what we're saying in that is, man, quit complaining. Yep, and like you're being a wuss, and you yep. need to quit. And it's like. Again, that doesn't
0: sound like the voice of God. That no. sounds like the accuser. For sure, um, for sure. Talk about, I mean, so I've, I've heard people talk about this uh, being content with singleness versus the gift mm-hmm. of singleness, and, and you referenced mm-hmm. a little bit earlier 1 Corinthians 7. So how do you think about those, contentment versus gift, or are they the same? Do you think about yeah. them differently? How, how do you reconcile those?
1: Um, well, as a, a cards on the table, as a, as a card-carrying member of the charismatic community, uh, I look at the word gift and I, I checked in my Strong's Concordance to make sure it was true. And the same word for gift there, it's, it's a gift from God. Each ha- Paul says, but each has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another that. He's talking about singleness. That's the same word that's used for the gift of teaching or tongues or prophecy or administration or mercy. And so it would seem to say that that's a administration, a giving, a, a grace, charis, gift, modic- uh, grace gift, from God to somebody, that he has decided that this is the measure of grace and the gift of grace that he's going to give them, and that by the Spirit, he'll help them to steward it and live it out.
0: That's right. Um, and like the other gifts, it's not a gift for you, so right. to speak. it's It's for, it's for a the gift building for up others. Of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Paul says all the gifts, he's specifically talking about prophecy, but in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, he says, that the gifts are meant for the building up, the edification, the encouragement, the consolation of the church. And so what does it look like then as a single person rather than to say, well, the church isn't giving me what I need to then say, man, God's given me this gift as a thing to steward for the sake of others. Um, That has been really instrumental for me in fighting against that discontentedness. It's, oh, this is for something. I'm not just in waiting with some void in my life I actually have more, according to Paul, attention that isn't divided so that I can be singularly focused on bringing truth and beauty and goodness into the world. So,
0: And I like that, and I think for for the listeners right now that are uh, older, married, and you see some younger single guys in your church, rather than um, pointing a finger, just assuming that they're sitting at home playing Xbox all day right or they're just watching or just messing around with their fantasy football whatever it is right these these images we build up in our mind going maybe not you know because it sounds like the life that you're living right now would be it'd be really hard for somebody to say that it's just sitting around yeah uh playing video games or just messing around with guitar chords all right. day or something like that right which yeah. is what what a lot if of If you
1: know me it's definitely not messing around with guitar chords I <laughs> clock out at 5 <laughs> There
0: it is that's so good so um so where, like in, in some of your experience, and it sounds like you're a part of a great church community that does a good job of celebrating this and encouraging this. So let's talk to those right now that are listening, just going, okay, maybe maybe my church could do better at encouraging singleness, and so, um, or encouraging those who are, whether it's a season or reason, they're there now, and they need to be all there now, because that's where they are right now. Um, where can the church get better at this, or what are some specific yeah. ways? Um
1: I think, and I'm, I don't want to critique anybody's philosophy of ministry in the church, but I think I, I think about Mark 10 a lot. Jesus says, if any of you are unwilling to forsake father and mother, brother, sister, house, field, land for my sake, if you're not w- willing to do that, then you're not worthy of being my disciple. But if you are, will you not receive back now and at this time a hundredfold mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and houses and fields and lands, along with sufferings, but what he's saying is and I'm getting this from from Sam Albury, who wrote a really great book called Seven Myths on About Singleness. But what what Sam said and what what Jesus seems to be saying is when you follow Jesus you are supposed to experience getting a net increase in family. Um that that you that if a church leader is listening to this podcast um we have to really mean the word family when we say like hey welcome to our church family like that word can become so cheap but for people who don't have a nuclear family of their own uh, that word really needs to mean something for them and so i think it looks like uh, not siloing single people into only having things offered by your church for single people the most meaningful things in my life has have been um being invited into a normal Tuesday evening dinner and family worship and putting the kids down time with some of, one of my pastors is one of my best friends, like being invited into that kind of life. Um, It's been such now where like I can tell their kids no, and I can tell them yes, and like I can, you know, I'm not going to discipline them, because. But but there's a kind of like, hey, you listen to Adam when he says don't do that or whatever. And so I've been really included and made a part of Their family. And so I think it looks like really working to have church be family. Um, Joseph Hellerman, Jonathan Hellerman, wrote a book called When the Church Was a Family that really shaped a lot of my thinking around this that I'd recommend to pretty much anybody.
0: Yeah, which is one of the downsides, I guess, of the bigger kind of the mega church. It's also the good thing is you can really get specific on age groups and categories and talk very specific. A negative is it. It's, it's siloed at times, right? So the high school kids are only hanging out with high school kids, and the older single adults are only hanging out with older single adults, and we're missing out on right. that, that family.
1: Right, because, I mean, the, some of the most meaningful voices in my life have been um, older women in our church. Um, my friend Jana, or my friend Candy, or my friend Kay Carroll, or Patty, um, or some of my friends that are maybe just a little bit older than me, but women who are single, like I've learned so much from their voice and my church doesn't have really siloed kind of age specific things. And so I was afforded the opportunity to be around them and to live life with them to where I could really glean and learn and be sharpened by them. Um, and so I, that's just been one of the biggest benefits or that family that I'm really close with, gotten to know um, her, the wife, the wife's mom, And she's been just this real picture of faith for me and walking, walking through some of the suffering that she has. And I've just gotten to see it in a way that I wouldn't have if I was only around other 29 year old.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and it sounds like, again, Adam, you, you, you walking this, this season with a lot of intentionality and purpose. and, And for some reason, the words pop into my mind, it's just very healthy, right? Like what you're able to experience is incredibly healthy. And the relationships that you have, and the intimacy that you're able to have with some of these relationships, is a real gift. And it's actually taking me back to um, a season of my life where I was right out of college and starting to help. Uh, I was I was helping to start a church in Atlanta, and so there were two or three families, and I was one of the single guys. But just that family that we were, and what I got to see those random Tuesday night meals, and watching the the kids interact and watching the parents interact with the kids. It was so much you know, just it was it was phenomenal, right? And these were real friends. It wasn't like they just patted me on the head and go, Oh, you're just kinda like the little brother. You it's know? Our, it,
1: yeah, it wasn't the like adopt a single ministry. That's right.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, we're doing a real service to you yeah, by allowing right. you into my house. And because um, what can
1: happen, I'm thinking about Paul again in first Corinthians, like the the married can't say to the unmarried, I have no need for you. The arm can't say to the elbow, I don't need you and just like the elbow can't say it, the single person can't say to the married people, I have no need of you. And so be- beginning to ask the question in your church or in your community or just in your your relationship, man, what does that actually look like? To think, I, I just wonder what would change if married people began to see unmarried people with like a man, I need you around, like you're going to sharpen me, you have things to teach me, Um because my life can be so divided as a married person, you unmarried person, get to be a picture for me of what an undivided life looks like. And I can I can model more things in my life after that. And then me, an unmarried person, can look at my married friend and go, man, you know, you have to die to so many of your preferences that I just never have to die to. That's a real picture for me of what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus. I want to figure out how to do that more in my life. Like that just sounds really beautiful to me. <laughs> In a in a way that I think what it does is say wow we're all actually whether we're ma- unmarried or married trying to walk the narrow way um it's like Eugene Peterson's book the Jesus Way where the subtitle of a conversation on the ways in which Jesus is the way that I get to watch the way Brady or Connor or Adam Tarno or whoever follows Jesus as a married person and say oh I can do it like that and vice versa yep
0: and neither of them are easy. No, nobody's got the easy. Nobody's got the easy no, button. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's all. So when you get called, you talked about with with your church community the helping out with the counseling and the pastoral care side. So, you know, when when somebody was like, "Oh, you got to talk to Adam," right? What what are some of the circumstances around that? What are some of the questions you're asked, and the ways that you are messages that you're sharing with? with others that really seem to be resonating. Mm-hmm.
1: I would say common common challenges that people are coming to me with would be among uh things like uh anxiety, depression, um not in a clinical sense. Um the second that happens cuz that's not my credentialing. I I'll refer that out, but um Anxiety, depression, um, just struggles with habitual sin in some way, questions around sexuality or sexual identity, Um, grief. I've got friends who've lost parents really tragically, Um, and what, what I've observed, what's been so interesting is all of those on the surface, and there are unique complexities to each. But as I've looked over the past couple of years, something that I've learned is a lot of the folks who are coming to me are folks who've been in church for a long time and participated in ministries and um, led in things, or they, they, they have a high church IQ, if you will. They know the vocabulary, they know the answers, they've maybe even taken a theology class that their church offers. Um, and yet there's a lack of fruit or a real struggle with life and just being discontent or just not knowing how to handle the hard things of life. And I've been really helped by, and I think they have been too, of just this idea of what it means, learning what it means to abide in the love of Jesus. Not, And I think sometimes what happens is people say like, uh, that will equate that with like memorizing scripture and studying scripture, which I think is true. That's how we learn about what the love of God is and looks like. And it's, but I've been so helped by old Catholic people, John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, and people like that, who really have taught me what it looks like to receive love from God and for love and joy and peace to, to be the result of that. Because Jesus says, if you abide in my love, not just if you understand things about me, but if you abide in my love, then you'll bear fruit. And so as I walk with these different people, but I think related to this conversation, as I walk with folks who are wrestling through their singleness or um, wishing their life looked different, it would be really working to help folks understand what does it really actually mean to be loved by God, And how can I actually experience it as opposed to just knowing about it? Um, And that's where I go back to it feels uncomfy at first, but I promise it gets easier. Like reading Song of Solomon and really receiving and and contemplating this idea of I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine and that Jesus is basically thinking and saying the exact same thing. Um, That union with God really is the point of Christianity and that I can experience that now. Um, that's just been so freeing for me and just brought peace and a settledness to my spirit where I don't need anything from people. And I like obviously I'll still struggle with that, but man, when I don't need anything, um, I'm actually able to love people as opposed to try to get things from them. This is Henry Nowen's book, Reaching Out. Um, and just Eugene Peterson would also talk about the difference between trying to get something from life as opposed to receiving my life as it comes. And I'm only really able to receive my life as from God if I really actually believe that he loves me and that I have what I need. Um, And so then I'm freed up to just like Ecclesiastes 3 when it says there's a time for this and a time for this. And The sentence right after that is all of this is from God. And so if I can learn to receive with my hands open in front of me, all of this is from God. My today is from God. And as I pray the examine at the end of the day and go through the hard things and the good things, I can say all of this is from God. And if it's from him, then it's going to be okay. Um, that's just been really helpful to me that is and for the folks that I meet so with. good.
0: Golly. I, we're going to end right there. And yeah, people can go and uh, go back a few minutes. It was probably about two minutes right there and re-listen to that again. That was really beautiful. That was really well said. And, uh, here's what's surprising. So if you, you know, uh, our producer, Aaron Rose connected us for this interview today. And if, you know, and I look at the topic and Aaron does a good job of, of helping me think through some questions to ask. And then there's some that that we figure out as we go through here. Um, I don't know if I would have guessed we were going to talk about the love of God as much as we were today on this episode. Right. And that's, that's deeply encouraging to me. And I, that is really, really encouraging to me and surprising and again, I think it, it speaks to your perspective on all of this, Adam, and just the, again, I'll come back to that, just the healthy nature of, of how you're viewing uh, your life. I'm not going to say season or reason. It's your life. I love that idea about receiving it. So well done, man. Really, really encouraging. Thanks for jumping on the podcast with us today. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Betterman podcast. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, or if you just want to learn more about the Better Man experience, head on over there to betterman.com. This episode, like every episode of the Betterman podcast, was produced and edited by the team over there at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.